Hello there, this is Benny. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The only podcast where I watch Doctor Who and I then tell you about it. Kyle has no other podcasts where he watches Doctor Who and tells you about it. This is the only one. Indeed. So He has yeah. assured you of this every time. <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to exclusive content here. Exclusive to listeners of the doctor's watcher only yes you'd better appreciate it and we know that you do and we appreciate you indeed in fact i just looked at our apple podcasts listing the other day and i noticed that we have a new review up since last time i checked and once again benny it is another five star one what that's as high as it goes kyle indeed it is so we are (laughs) Knocking it out of the park. Many thanks to Apple Podcasts user Chris and Joe for leaving that review. Mm -hmm. That is, I believe, our seventh rating as well. Uh, And I happen to notice that it's enough for Apple to officially give us an overall or like average rating or whatever. Oh, I didn't know that. Dang. That's, yeah. that's, that's a milestone right there. And I don't know what you. exactly the cutoff is, but yeah, I'm pretty sure last time I checked, it <laughs> said like not enough ratings or whatever. Yeah, like but these, these aren't real. These are just your friends and family. Right. But yeah, now we have like an actual average of five stars. Holy crap. So, but yeah, we appreciate each and every one of you who have ever left us a five star review. It seriously, seriously, seriously makes our our day probably makes our our week or more not not to sound too needy, but uh well, you guys already know that we beg for five star reviews literally every epi- I think several times an episode <laughs> I think so, so yeah, <laughs> I think the whole neediness ship has already sailed, um, yeah, probably, and we do we do appreciate it every time. We we do indeed. I I kind of use this podcast as an excuse to watch Doctor Who. And, you know, if if you all weren't listening to me talk about it, then it wouldn't be nearly as much fun. Yeah, and if Kyle weren't watching Doctor Who, then what would we talk about? <laughs> <laughs> no, but all joking aside, I think that, uh, you know, uh, during this pandemic, I really appreciated the the opportunity to sort of get together with Kyle on a regular basis. Cause it's easy, you know, just to sort of keep doing your own thing or just intend to, to do stuff together and then never actually do it. But this is, this has given us this opportunity and excuse to, uh, you know, every, every couple of weeks get together and, and talk and, you know, be buds. And then mm-hmm. in between we, we talk about the podcast and we, like uh you know share share thoughts and when we're editing we we toss ideas back and forth and stuff right yeah, it's really, and it, it, it's it's really been fantastic you know during this whole pandemic thing um so and yeah, it's, all, it's sure. all thanks to you guys because i think i don't know if we would have stuck to it this long if we didn't have any listeners so <laughs> uh, i know we don't have like millions but it's it's about it's about quality and y'all are as good as it gets. And, you know, we do have dozens, which is more than I ever could have expected, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I genuinely and truly um, 
um, amazed and humbled and grateful for for all the the listeners that we get um, whether you you know tweet at us email us or, or just download us every week for sure well shall we give the listeners what they actually came here for <laughs> yes <laughs> there you go you filthy animals have your doctor who content no we love you we love you So this is the third episode of season two, mm-hmm. Crisis. Mm-hmm. Do you recall, Benny, what our Cliftingler was from the previous episode? Um, I remember Barbara wasn't doing so great um, and because she had touched one of the poison seeds. Right. And I think she had just like collapsed. I don't know if that was like the final Cliftangler, but I think I think that happened. I think that did happen in the episode. The the Cliff Dingler moment is takes place at the sink. Uh, oh no, I do remember that they're going to get flushed down because the, they were going to use the sink to like make amplify their voices, and then right. But now now they're going to get flushed down it. Yeah. So Ian and Barbara are up at the top of the sink and are basically hiding, and Susan and the Doctor are like inside the sink drain which is plugged up, but the sink itself is full of water. And like the scientist dude who has washed his hands, pulls the drain, like pulls the plug out of the drain. And we cut to inside the sink or inside the drain where the camera shows us that the doctor and Susan have actually climbed down and climbed into like the overflow pipe Hmm. Um, yeah, you know how like your sink has the little hole at the top. So if, Mm -hmm. if it gets too full, it'll go down there. They've climbed into like that pipe basically. Smart. Yeah. So, you know, they just watch all the water rush past them. And as usual, we resolve our cliff dangler in, you know, a couple of seconds. (laughs) In moments. Yeah. (laughs) But, but, uh, now, now you too, uh, listeners, you know what to do if you ever find yourself in that situation. Indeed. And, you know, who among us has not found ourselves like an inch tall and hiding in a sink drain? Oh, boy. Tell me about it. And, and it, just in case you haven't, um, it's, it, it's inevitable. It's coming, listeners. Yeah. I, so prepare yeah. yourselves. I think and, it's, uh, it's just part of the human experience at some point in your life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they teach us about it in school, and you're like, that'll never happen to me. Next thing you know, you know, there you are in the sink, an inch tall, and you're like, oh, I should have paid attention when we had that assembly. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, I hope I hope you weren't homesick that day. <laughs> Meanwhile, we cut to Ian and Barbara, who are sitting near the pile of seeds, and. They're just kind of like speculating and wondering to themselves whether Susan and the doctor drowned or not. (laughs) And Ian decides that they better go check. So we cut to the two of them at the sink 
and Ian starts climbing down the plug chain. You know, there's like a, a chain for the, the plug that goes into the drain, a chain uh-huh. to attach it to the side of the uh-huh. sink. Ian's climbing down the plug chain and Barbara follows, but she's definitely like weak and slow from the poison that she touched in the previous episode. At the at the sink drain itself, Ian, you know, looks into the drain, but it's too dark, he can't see anything. Too dark to see. Dang. That's dark. Yeah. But just then, Susan and the doctor come climbing up out of the drain. There we are, you see, my friends? You can't get rid of us as easily as all that, eh? Aww. So, yeah, doctor's happy to be reunited with them. I thought that was nice. Yeah. and I mean, can you imagine actually being in a situation where you think that your friends have died and, uh, you know worse that they've been flushed down a giant drain gosh yeah seriously i mean i'm glad that it resolved so quickly but like and this is a tv show and we're sort of used to the 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 danger aspects of it um it sort of comes with the territory but you stop and think about it and you're like oh my gosh can you imagine like after all your adventures and all your time together then it's like well they uh, got flushed down a giant drain and i never saw them again Mm -hmm. yep they were definitely dead and, you know, especially in Barbara and Ian's case, where if the doctor dies, then, like, what the fuck are they supposed to do? They can't, you know, they'll have to basically go figure out how to operate the TARDIS themselves, I guess. <laughs> if they can even get into it without, like, the lock melting on them or whatever. Or it's like, I guess I'm an inch tall forever now. <laughs> uh-huh. We cut to Suitman who has been editing the report that the dead guy wrote. Mm -hmm. You know, the report that says, like, this chemical is pretty fucked up. Now it says this chemical is pretty fucking awesome. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That's exactly what it says, actually. (laughs) (laughs) He needs to call dead guy's co-workers because of course dead guy was also going to telephone the report in but lab coat man doesn't really want him to do that you know it seems risky yeah what are you going to tell them (laughs) (laughs) Uh uh-huh before he left on his definite cruise which he's totally on uh he asked me to give you a call (laughs) (laughs) yeah suit man's just like dude chill out it's gonna be fine and he picks up the telephone we cut to the old school switchboard operator who answers the phone. Uh, oh, if, yeah. It's just a reminder that we're in 1963. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. If any of our listeners don't know what that is, it's kind of like if a cell phone tower was a person. <laughs> it looks a bit like you're playing a giant game of battleship. Like, you know, that you somehow uh-huh. battleship, but the little pegs are connected to other pegs with wires. It looks a bit like that. Yeah. In any case, the the process was that you would then tell the telephone operator like the phone number that you wanted to call, and they would plug in some wires for you. And uh, so the the switchboard operator connects Suitman to Whitehall two eight seven, and 
Suitman pulls out a handkerchief and he covers the phone's mouthpiece with it and then tells them that he's Arnold Farrow, which is the dead guy's name. And he says that the report is very satisfactory. Well, I would say the DN6, as they call it, is about 60% improvement on normal insecticides. Yes, I know I'm not usually so enthusiastic, but this is really extraordinary. <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. Uh, if if my voice sounds a little different, it's just because I'm so choked up with emotion about how amazing this product is. <laughs> the switchboard operator has been listening in to the whole conversation, and she tells her husband... Sound like Mr. Farrow at all. Apparently Mr. Farrow's actual co-workers didn't notice, though. <laughs> uh, you know they've just been hanging out with him for a while he, just, he sinks into the background uh-huh. you stop really paying attention to what people sound like <laughs> he does make some comment during the conversation about like being on a bad line or whatever so oh, okay yeah they maybe they said something but but apparently that was it he tells the person on the phone that he's crossing over into france tonight so, you know, getting the cover story down of the vacation. Mm-hmm. They and a good lie is based on a grain of truth. <laughs> yep. And yeah, so then when the conversation ends, he tells Labcoat Man that it all went perfectly. Nefarious. We cut to our tiny heroes who have found a notebook that has like chemical formulas written in it. Cool. Science. Uh-huh. They found a notebook with science in it. They try to get, you know, try to figure out what it is, but they can't really, like, see the whole page at a time because it's too big. Mm. So they, you know, we basically cut past them doing this thing where the doctor has Barbara and Susan, like, mark out areas with their feet basically you know walk over areas and then ian like describes what's in that square and the doctor like writes it down in his own notebook and stuff Hmm. but we just cut over we cut past all that they you know come up with the idea and then we cut to it being finished and in the doctor's notebook he and ian are clearly able to see that you know this is all about the insecticide Hmm. That's interesting. I wonder. I wonder if the scale on that uh, actually makes sense because it seems like I don't know if they'd be that tiny. Mm-hmm. They talked about like propping the notebook up and just viewing it from a distance, but they figured it would be too heavy to do that. Oh, okay, okay. Maybe they they anticipated the audience, you know, <laughs> scratching their heads at all that. Uh huh. Once they you know, have figured out all the science, Barbara wonders that, or thinks that maybe they can find a cure for the insecticide. But of course she still hasn't told anyone that she's infected. So everybody else is just like, you know, what would be the point of that? We just need to like stop it being produced if, if we do anything. Yeah. And you know, the the insecticide killed that fly pretty much instantly. So it's like, you know, how are you going to administer a cure to yeah. a dead fly? Yeah. 
Apparently, the insecticide is everlasting, according to the doctor, which means that it's going to seep into the soil and then like get into the drinking water. And he does say that it could kill humans if they encountered sufficient quantities of it in their food and drink, or even through physical contact. Of course, it can be absorbed through the skin. Yikes. Barbara. Hey, but if it's everlasting, that means you only need one application and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, Think that... about the savings. <laughs> Barbara, of course, is pretty upset by all this. And, yeah, understandably. understandably. Yeah, has obviously good reason, but she still doesn't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Susan asks if she's all right, and she says, Yes, I, I feel a bit giddy. I think I must be hungry. Oh. Doctor's like, well, shit, we can't eat anything even if we did find food. Like, you know, we're tiny and food's big, basically. But you can take a tiny bite out of a big food. <laughs> he says the tap water should be good to drink. And there's also, like, there's something else that he wants to go play with and mess around with near the sink, which is the telephone. We just cut straight to the telephone and our tiny protagonists have found a cork from a test tube that's like near the base of the phone and they get the idea of basically using this cork to prop up the phone's handset hmm. then they can like yell into it right exactly so Ian like climbs up to the top of the phone. Susan climbs like halfway up and Ian, Ian and Susan, people of action, people of action. The doctor then passes this giant cork up to Susan who passes it up to Ian. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Barbara goes off like to the test tubes and comes back with a second giant cork, which also gets passed up. Cool. Good, good system that they've got here. Uh-huh. Also, Barbara, person of action. Yes. I mean, you know, I think reduced action given that she's suffering some pretty major stat penalties due to po- her poisoned condition. But right. there's still you can still count on her for some action in situations that require it. The doctor actually notices that some of her stats are reduced. Of course, you know, all the players know, but they're they're good about staying in character. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the doctor notices that she seems very tired. So she sits for a few minutes while, you know, this new cork that she brought gets passed up. And then Ian calls for the rest of the group to come up to the top of the phone. So so they all do. At first it's just the doctor and Susan And the doctor says that he's not sure if Barbara's up for it. But then Barbara does arrive like up at the top of the phone as well. And the plan at this point is for Ian, the doctor, and Barbara to all lift one end of the phone handset Mm -hmm. while Susan takes the cork and like slides it up under it to prop it up. Cool. And they do that plan actually works really well nice. and they head over to the other side of the handset and repeat it 
And, you know, within a few moments, the camera cuts back to the switchboard operator's house and her her switchboard is buzzing. Mm-hmm. Hilda, come and answer this thing. It's driving me mad. Shouts her husband. <laughs> so Hilda, the switchboard operator, answers and asks what number they want to connect to. And... Ian, Susan, and the doctor all shout together into the receiver. Can you hear us? Very coordinated. Yeah. Barbara is over at the other end of the handset to listen. You know, she's like at the ear end. Mm-hmm. But all she can hear is a low grumble, mm. which I'm pretty sure isn't really how that would work if you got shrunk. But seems like it would be louder. Yeah. But but I guess they're also saying something about like the frequencies of, of the voices. Something like that. Yeah. I don't know if that would actually play out or not, but but sure, we'll give it to him. Okay. We're <laughs> generous. Uh-huh. Back at the mouth end of the handset, they shout, Put us through to police! But, of course, no luck. It doesn't work. Hmm. About this time, Barbara kind of falls to the ground, and Ian runs over to help her. Uh, ground, I should say, like, you know, on the handset. She doesn't, like, tumble all the way off the phone or anything. Okay, that's, that's good. So he, he heads over to her. Been overdoing things. <laughs> <laughs> and he offers to get her some water to help her freshen up. Okay. I mean, he. I'm glad that he, you know, is is trying. Yeah. He's showing concern, but also I'm I'm a little frustrated at this point in Barbara for not having said something at uh, somewhere along the line. I get at first she was feeling kind of foolish, maybe, or didn't want to be lectured, but it reaches a point where it's like, come on, please, please say something to your group. Yeah, definitely. I I was feeling the same way. He reaches for the handkerchief that she's been holding because, you know, he wants to, like, go soak it in water. Mm-hmm. But, of course, she pulls back. She won't let him touch it. She says that no one should touch it. And he, and, I imagine, starts putting two and two together. Right. And also, at this point, of course, she's been taking ongoing poison damage this whole time. Mm-hmm. And that finally catches up with her, and her hit points drop to zero, and she faints. Dang. Goes into death save mode. Dang. Hi, I hope you're enjoying the episode. If you like our podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you'd like to ask us a question, share your thoughts, or make fun of us, you can email us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or tweet us at drwatcher. Thanks for listening, and now back to the episode. The doctor uses like a pen or something to lift up the handkerchief without touching it, and he can smell the insecticide on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he realizes that 
she's got insecticide all over her hands. And then Ian remembers giving her the handkerchief while they were standing near the pile of seeds. Mm-hmm. And of course, everyone realizes what happened. Yikes. She makes a few good death saves and recovers consciousness. She probably has a bonus for being a person of action. Yeah, I think you get, you know, a plus, what, plus two to death saves for that? <laughs> At least. But, you know, she does realize that she's basically fucked and everybody knows it. You know, she may have recovered for the time being, but like she has, she is actually still infected with poison. Yeah, she's taking continuing damage and, uh, you know, cumulative stat loss. Right. You know, this, she can be healed, but, you know, that can only last so long. If you're if the damage is ongoing, mm-hmm. the doctor's like, "Yes, you got some of it on your hands, and you didn't tell us anything about it. It was very wrong of you, wasn't it?" Man, I mean, even though he has a point, he still comes across as super condescending. Yeah, like I, yeah, I agree. Like he he's right, but like he's still an asshole. <laughs> you can be both <laughs> as uh, as arguing with anyone on the internet um, occasionally proves <laughs> Ian and the doctor step aside to discuss things and the doctor basically says that they just need to get back to the ship and return to normal size at the moment her protective cells are too small to cope with the molecules of poisoning up bloodstream but he says if they return to normal size, it would make it like 70 times less dangerous. Well, the poison you see remains the same size. <laughs> just, just trust me on this. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I think like the basic concept is that the amount of poison would remain fixed. So, you know, if she got like one droplets worth of poison in a tiny body like that's pretty bad but then in a a large body like no big deal sure maybe that's how it works who knows who can say Uh uh-huh so ian is like can get us back to normal size and the doctor's like oh yes of course i can dear boy yes of course i can i hope <laughs> nice. I, I, I admire that optimism. <laughs> yeah, what did he tell Susan in the previous episode? Like, there's always a chance or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, very, very reassuring. Uh huh. Suitman tries to use the phone, but of course he can't get a signal because the other phone is off the hook. Interesting. Yeah, that, that would do it. Yeah, this is something that used to happen, uh, younger listeners, um, that the house would have like one line and if one person was talking on the phone, you couldn't talk to like, I don't know how we ever managed, you know, to ever even hunt a single dinosaur back in the day when it was so hard to coordinate things over the phone. Yeah, seriously, you couldn't even like take your phone with you <laughs> if you were leaving the house. And yeah, it was it was wild. <laughs> Yep. You had to wait by the phone if you were waiting for a call. Like if your tiny friends were stuck in a lab somewhere, then 
I hope you're not doing much that afternoon because you're waiting by the phone uh, for your tiny friends to call. And man, if you wanted to use the internet, like that happened on the f- over the phone lines too, and then you couldn't. <laughs> You had to like negotiate with your parents about how much time you could spend taking up the phone. And... Uh huh. Well, I guess they didn't worry about that too much in 1963, though. <laughs> That's true. So, yeah, he tries to use the phone. It's not working. We cut back to our tiny heroes who have apparently been having some off screen discussions about like what some various options are. Mm-hmm. And what they've decided is that they need to try to stop the insecticide from getting approved and used. Yeah. So they want to try to start a fire because that could get people's attention. Mm -hmm. And Ian sees the gas tap of a Bunsen burner and he starts forming a plan. Nice. Meanwhile, Suitman goes to ask Lab Coat Man about if there are any other phones on the property. And Lab Coat Man tells him about the phone near the sink. So the two of them go to check that phone out. And of course, they find the two corks that are propping the handset up. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I wonder mm-hmm. what we're going to make of that. Well, Suitman starts getting pretty suspicious of Lab Coat Man. Good. He Good. thinks make, make them make them sus of each other. Yeah, Always a good strategy. Yeah, he thinks the Lab Coat Man put the phone off the hook so Suitman couldn't use it. But meanwhile, Lab Coat Man is like, "What the fuck? I smell DN six around here." Hmm. Interesting. He's got One, good nose. Yeah. Once the phone is back on the hook, it rings, like, pretty much immediately. And so, you know, Suitman answers it, and it's the switchboard operator, Hilda. She Hilda's, makes... Hilda's having an interesting day. Uh-huh. She makes some comment about, you know, the receiver having been replaced, and she refers to Mr. Smithers... And Suitman is like, uh, I'm not Mr. Smithers. I think Smithers is the name of Lab Coat Man. Mm. Okay. So, you know, he's like, you know, I'm not Smithers. She's like, Is that Mr. Farrow? Which, of course, is the name of the dead guy. And he's like, uh, let's go with no on that one, too. Interesting. She says that she has a call for Mr. Farrow. He's like, oh, no, I am Mr. Farrow. <laughs> <laughs> just, just kidding. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, oh, shit, hold on just a sec. I'll go get him or whatever. <laughs> I'll go get him. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he pulls out his handkerchief, and he drapes, he drapes the handkerchief over his mouthpiece again. <laughs> and then, completely without changing his voice at all, he says, Bado here? Who is this? <laughs> Excellent. Meanwhile, Hilda, the switchboard operator's husband, Bert, is also listening in. And he's like, You think you ought to be doing this, Hilda? But. Yeah, stay out of this, Bert. Uh huh. She gets Suitman to talk a bit more. 
And then she tells him that, oh, shit, looks like the call was dropped. And Bert actually does become convinced that something's up. And he decides to go check it out. Uh-oh. So, Oh, buddy, on your own, <laughs> by yourself. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> he puts on his police hat. Oh, all righty. <laughs> which, yeah, I thought really might have been good to know earlier. No, I, I, I kind of like the reveal. And Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, not that I'm ever super stoked about police in any situation, but um, this is a kid's show from 1963, uh, so maybe, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, we do have a murder and forgery and various other shit happening, so... He heads out. Back in the lab, Susan, Barbara, and the doctor all work together to get the handle of the gas jet into position. So, like, the gas is coming out now. Mm-hmm. And then Ian and Susan get a match. I, I like this episode so far. There's a lot of our, our tiny heroes, like manipulating giant equipment, you know, to yeah. do the phone. Now they're doing the gas jet and, you know, sort of doing the teamwork to make it all happen. I I dig it. Yeah, and I thought the the set designers did a good job too, you know, like they building this big phone for them to climb up on and cool. You know, there's like the giant match that Ian <laughs> and Susan get and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So Ian and Susan pick up this match. Their idea is to basically use it like a battering ram, run it like up against the side of the matchbox to light it, uh-huh. and then just like carry it over to the gas jet, basically. Okay, I mean, that should work. And yeah, that's that's going to light the flame, which is going to melt through like a pressurized spray can that they've apparently got into place. Oh, oh yikes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's going to obviously create an explosion and a fire. And it takes Ian and Susan a couple of tries, but they do manage to get the match lit and to get the the gas jet lit with the match. I did want to talk a little bit about like the special effects of the sequence. Cause it was pretty cool. Uh-huh. Excellent. Looking forward to hearing this already. You know, we do have like a, a giant match prop, like an actual physical object. That's like this huge match that Ian and Susan run with. Cool. It's got like a big match head on the end and everything. There's like a giant match box prop, you know, scaled to match. but we don't actually get to see like the match light like the fire (laughs) be created are are you saying that the uh the bbc didn't allow them to to, to set this (laughs) enormous matchstick on fire (laughs) well what we get instead is a classic Doctor Who special effect technology. Of having which somebody watch is, what's happening and, t- and narrate it. <laughs> exactly. We get a reaction shot. Excellent. <laughs> we get to see Barbara and the Doctor 
as they watch Ian and Susan with the match. And then some Doctor Who production staff member off camera turns a light on and Barbara and the Doctor react happily because the match is lit now. I love it. I, I unironically genuinely love this type of thing. Yes. Very good. Yeah, for sure. We then cut to a shot of like the Bunsen burner gas jet thingy. Mm -hmm. And we see like an actual real life lit match approaching from off screen. (laughs) A a, a tiny, like real sized one. Uh huh. Yeah. We we see a, a real, real life match that like, you know, has actual fire approach from off screen. We just don't get to see like what's holding it. <laughs> uh-huh. And yeah, it like the fire end sticks into the gas jet and the gas jet lights on fire. The Bunsen burner is lit. Amazing. I I love it. <laughs> yeah, I I sort of suspect it was one of the uh, one of the instances where like the players come up with such a great idea that the DM like sets kind of a relatively low difficulty difficulty rating on the checks, like just because like you really want to see it happen. <laughs> the DM's like, guys, this isn't in the rule book, but it's awesome. Go for it. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Lab coat man, meanwhile, has been poking around in the garden outside and he realizes that the DN6 is just killing everything. And, you know, I guess up until this point, he hadn't been sure because, of course, Suitman's been telling him that, like, no, it's pretty fucking awesome. Like, up until this point, he thought it was only killing most things. Right. Maybe not everything, everything. But as he has this realization, he also realizes that Suitman is pointing a gun at him. <laughs> and he wishes he would have had that realization a little bit sooner. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe he should have started with that one. Uh-huh. Suitman explains. Then he told me he couldn't authorize DN6. I had too much money sunk into it. I had to kill him. Once I'd started, I had to see it through. All the way. Yep, yeah, he's monologuing all right. Yep. The two of them head into the lab where our tiny heroes are are taking cover from the impending explosion. The camera shows us that like the tin can, you know, this pressurized tin spray can that's being melted by the gas jet. Mm-hmm. is apparently highly flammable insecticide. Nice. Lab Coat Man is trying to reason with Suitman, telling him that DN6 is more deadly than radiation. But And that's pretty deadly. Yeah, like in the 60s especially, everyone's super scared of that. Mm. I mean, for good reason, obviously, but... Yeah, some of us still are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Suitman's not listening, though, you know. He He's not hearing it. He just wants the money that he sees in DN6. And then the two of them notice the gas jet and the flame and the spray can. And Suitman goes to turn it off. 
but it's too late. The spray can explodes in his face and like blinds him basically. Added bonus. Lab coat man grabs his gun, but then Hilda, the switchboard operator's husband, Bert, the policeman (laughs) shows up and he takes the gun himself. Nice. And like, uh, hold on, what? <laughs> uh, I'll I'll just be having that. I'm just gonna like jump ahead a bit, <laughs> you know. From like, I think I should check this out. I think there's something suspicious going on. To like, oh, a gun. Yeah, <laughs> you're about mm-hmm. to shoot this guy. Let me go ahead and take that from you. <laughs> <laughs> he looks over a suit man, who of course is like blindly cowering. Yeah, Liv. Now I have some questions that need answering. And turn that gas off, you'll kill a lot of us. Uh-huh. As they were leaving the lab, as our tiny heroes are leaving the lab, the doctor grabs one of the seeds from the pile. He, like, grabs it with his cape. Okay. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> uh-huh. No, he, he's very careful to, to only hold it in his cape and not touch it himself. Okay, okay. Well done, doctor. And... Then we basically cut from Tiny Heroes in the Lab straight to Tiny Heroes in the TARDIS. And in the TARDIS, the Doctor has Ian also, like, using cloth and fabric, has Ian take the seed over to this table and, you know, set it down there where they can all see it, which Ian does. The table where the science happens. Right. And the doctor starts, you know, puttering around the various TARDIS control panels and, you know, doing the controlly things, buttons and switches and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Doing science. Right. And then the camera shows us the tiny tot TARDIS dematerializing from its position among the rocks. And it disappears the doctor keeps puttering around the control panels and we see this seed over on the table shrinking and shrinking. And oh, okay. Okay. So they're yeah. not going to, I guess he's not going to like, you know, create an antidote. Yeah. I guess that they were saying earlier that they just have to get everyone back to normal size and they can skip any, any more um, elaborate actions here. Right. Yeah. So that's the plan. Basically we see the seed shrink and shrink and shrink until, you know, it's no longer visible on camera anymore, basically. And, you know, the doctor heads over and like picks it up and shows, Oh, it's just like a normal size seed now. Mm -hmm. And Barbara all of a sudden starts feeling much better and everything seems okay. Oh, good. Now she only has tiny poison in her normal-sized veins. <laughs> uh-huh. And, you know, I guess our her white blood cells are probably more than large enough now to go <laughs> defeat the tiny poison. Uh-huh. So she starts feeling better. Everything looks good. So the doctor suggests that they all go clean up a bit. And, yeah, Ian, Barbara, and Susan all leave the control room the doctor turns on his scanner, but it's not showing anything useful. It's just got like interference lines, basically. Cool. 
He's pretty annoyed by this since he apparently had to fix the scanner after it broke when they first arrived. Remember, like the glass shattered because it was trying to show an image that was too large or something. Uh huh. So yeah, he's annoyed that he fixed it and it's still like not, not being useful or helpful. But then we start hearing some TARDIS noises happen. Says, I, I think we're beginning to materialize. Perhaps I should know now where we are. Interesting. And the words next episode, World's End, appear on screen. That's that's promising. Um, cool. I mean, I have no idea what's what's gonna happen in that. Um, I guess I guess world's end could refer to like you know some. It could be like the apocalypse, or it could be some far off part of of the world, or mm-hmm. and or the universe. Um, oh, that could beyond, be beyond like explored parts of the world and or universe, right? Yeah, I was thinking more like far distant future sort of thing, like oh, like the heat death of the universe type. Yeah, type that type of thing could be a possibility. Like the the restaurant at the end of the universe. Maybe maybe World's End is the the motel by the restaurant at the end of the universe. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> But yeah, it didn't give us much. World's End is a good title, but it doesn't give us a whole lot. Yeah, I, I agree with both of those things. <laughs> I, I did think it was kind of funny that the the Cliff Dangler is essentially that the Doctor might know where they are. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to remember to put it that way for our next recording. <laughs> um, well, cool. Well, uh, it sounds like I'm going to go out on a limb and say that was the end of the serial. It was indeed. Cool. What's, what's the official, uh, I don't know if it, maybe official is the wrong word, but what's the name of this serial, whether it's fanon or, or official canon? I think it's Planet of Giants, which is just okay. the first episode in yeah, serial. Yeah. I think, I think they did that in a couple of the other ones too. Like, yeah. I think, I think I remember you saying that some people considered the, the name of the, the one with the cave people to actually be um, the... Um, An unearthly an child. unearthly child, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, okay. So, so this is the end of the serial. Um, so, I have to ask, um, what did you think? Would you recommend it? Uh, I do actually recommend the serial. Cool. I would have to say that shrinking to tiny size is a classic sci-fi trope. Absolutely, and it's even and, better in 1963 with 1963 technology. Uh huh. Yeah, this was a really fun handling of it. We got some fun special effects. We got to see the tiny TARDIS's shining moment. Yes. There was a cat. If, if, if for no other reason, um, this, this serial will always have a place in my heart because of the tiny TARDIS's shining moment. Oh, and also yeah. because there was a cat. Yeah, we had a cat as a, as a villain even, uh, a Cliff Dingler villain. Yes. So, yeah, this was a super fun serial to watch. 
Uh, it's short too. It's only three episodes. So, you know, it's not going to take you that much time. It was actually originally written and filmed as four episodes. Oh. But I guess the BBC head of serials didn't think it worked as a four-parter. So they edited the final two episodes down to one, yeah, which was it, this one. Some of it seemed to move kind of quickly when they're just suddenly in the TARDIS now. <laughs> like, yeah. They didn't have to make their way back. They didn't have to, like, you know, figure out how to get into it when they're tiny or anything. Like yeah. That. Yeah. You can definitely tell sometimes that that there's like a scene missing or a few scenes missing. Hmm. Uh, and yeah, the, the pace was, was remarkably fast for a doctor <laughs> who of this era. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I thought they actually handled the edit pretty well. Cool. I didn't really like how Barbara was written in this serial. We've already kind yeah. of touched on this yeah. for sure. I, I mean, I feel yeah. like not liking how the, the, the women are written is sort of a, <laughs> a recurring theme on this podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't like that she was careless and touches the seed in the first place. Mm-hmm. But given that she does, I then further didn't like that she doesn't tell her friends what's going on with her. Mm-hmm. And I also didn't like that they all just kind of accept her being weak for so long because like this is the sixties and women are weak. Yeah. Like you really should notice if somebody is really badly poisoned and yeah. And what, what, what did Ian say? Something like, Oh, you've overdone it or something. like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> is that what that looks like? According to you? <laughs> I, I did like the narrative tension of like her wanting to find a cure and no one else like giving a shit about a cure because why would they? Like that was kind of interesting, but I don't know that it was worth the the harm to her character. Basically, I I would agree. But in general, yeah, I I do recommend the serial. Yeah, I I would definitely check this out for no other reason than to see the the tiny special effects. Um, yeah, you know the the people with the giant props, always great. The um projection of the giant cat face or whatever and then the tiny mm-hmm. people in front of it that's that's just that's just classic to me yeah um, for sure I, I i i do think um some of the you know government bureaucracy uh pesticide approval process stuff was maybe not the most thrilling uh, uh, premise for an episode. I kind of wonder yeah. if, if this might have worked better if they were just leaned into the we're tiny and it's dangerous to be tiny aspect. Like, oh, we've got cats. And as Matilda reminds us, <laughs> um, yes, uh, cats are very dangerous to anything that's tiny. Um, whether it's, you know, a uh, uh, toy on a string, a uh, crumpled up piece of paper. <laughs> like, man, they are, they are top of the food chain mm-hmm. um but but yeah i wonder if you know they could have come up with some some um macguffin that they had to get like oh at our tiny size the only thing that could replace this um piece of technology is uh you know that we that we broke in the tardis right is, uh 
a paperclip. Paper yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, it, I think the BBC was trying to do like an environmentalism sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, I, <laughs> I appreciate the, the subtlety of a Captain Planet episode. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a bit heavy handed. Now remember when you make a pesticide, make sure <laughs> that it doesn't just kill everything. And, and of course, anyone who would make a pesticide that kills anything must be, uh, basically an evil <laughs> murderous person at heart. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. But I would definitely check out some, uh, some clips from this or, or the whole episodes. It seemed like that last episode has some real quality stuff in it. Um, you know, the, the yeah. giant telephone, the giant match and matchbox. Uh, yeah. I mean, you might as well watch the whole serial, but if you're only yeah, going to watch one enough. episode, probably go for the, the third. Yeah. I mean, then I couldn't see the cat, though, which... That's true. Apparently, what was cut from the third and fourth episodes, to boil them down to this one, no longer survives in video form at all. (laughs) I mean, when the actual episodes that were Uh aired (laughs) barely survive and often don't. (laughs) We do... I'm not surprised that we didn't get the, you know, deleted scenes and blooper reel. (laughs) We do have the scripts for them. Oh, and oh, that's that's cool. yeah. I haven't read them, but we they do exist. I, I guess wonder, when I wonder if Planet, the cat makes another appearance. <laughs> I guess when Planet of Giants was released on DVD, they actually included animated reconstructions of these two episodes, including having the original actors voice their roles, like where possible. Oh, whoa! I'm pretty sure you know this was like in the past. 10 years or whatever so you know william hartnell's been long dead but but yeah they got the original actors as they as where they could so i haven't seen it yet but i kind of like to i wonder if they got caroline ford to come back and do it because my my understanding is that she has somewhat of a uh mixed mixed feelings about about the role yeah, um, I think she, that's I think she fair. could come back for some other stuff too. Actually, um, now that I think about it, so yeah, maybe maybe you know she'd be willing to come back and mm-hmm. do it all again, if for no other reason than just for the sake of nostalgia. Well, cool. That was fun. Yeah. And uh, should we move on to the the next serial? I think so. So, listeners, come back in two weeks to find out. I guess, which version of the end of the world, of the world's end, we will be visiting. It's got to be good, right? I mean, however the world ends, it's always worth seeing. (laughs) (laughs) Put that on a bumper sticker. Uh Uh-huh. All right. Bye. Bye. Hi, it's Benny. Kyle and I would like to thank Circuit 23 for our theme song. You can find its sweet, sweet tunes, including our theme, at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23 at gmail.com. Thank you to Kyle for talking to me about Doctor Who. And thank you, listener, for listening to me, listening to Kyle talk about Doctor Who. You can always chat with us by emailing thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or tweeting at doctorwatcher. It always makes our day to see a new review on iTunes. And with that, 
please join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. for the insecticide, Doctor. Perhaps. Well, if it is, it'll tell us what we're fighting against. We might even find a cure. A cure? What's the good of that? I don't know. Well, neither do I. If we're going to do anything at all, we must stop it. Yes, Ian's right, Barbara. You only need a cure if somebody's infected. What we've got to do is stop it being produced. Yes, all right, sir. Well, I think we should take a closer look at this oversized document. The more we know about the enemy, the better.